want to announce there is a session meeting Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. I think I'm the only session member here. I am. Morning scripture, Romans the 12th chapter, the second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we have the opportunity to look at it this morning. We pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts and minds to help us to understand it, to help us to see the complexities of it in a new light, and help us to apply it to our lives, Father, as we leave here. May our lives be renewed and the purpose of them be only to glorify you. And Father, I pray that you give me your words and that May they be glorifying unto you, for it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. So as we've looked at the first verse and this morning again on the second verse for the second week, it's pretty clear that our entire lives are to be an act of worship of God. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. Our lives exist to worship God. In everything that we do, no matter what it is, no matter how great or how minuscule we think it may be, our job is to make much of Jesus, is to make him look good. Verse 1 encourages us to make our bodies a living sacrifice. And we talked about what that meant. It meant basically every aspect of our lives was to be a sacrifice to make much of Christ, to make him look good in what we do, how we act, what we say. Then verse 2 gives us insight on how we go about doing that, how we make Jesus look good, how we show him and demonstrate that he is our treasure, both to ourselves and to everyone else that comes in contact with us. And we do that by being transformed. We do that by being transformed, and we are transformed by the renewing of our what? Minds. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. We're already new creations. And we know that we are new creations when we accept Christ as our Savior. Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 1 Corinthians 5.7 encourages us to clean the old leaven out, that we are a new lump and we are unleavened at the time. We are to put on a new self. We have been made new in Christ. We are a new creation. And we have to remember that. Colossians 3.10 tells us to put on that new self, 
which, quote, is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So this idea that we can be saved and it not change anything in our lives is a false notion. It cannot happen. There is a renewal process, and we see in that Colossians text, we see in this morning's text, that that renewal process has a lot to do with our minds and has a lot to do with how we think and, and, and definitely how we act. And this morning, we are looking again, as I said, on this second verse, but we're looking at the second part of it. Last week, we looked at the renewal of our minds, and this morning, we're going to look at the last half of that b- verse being that by testing you may discern the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So last week we looked at that first part. This week we're going to look at the second part. And we know that it is so very important that we renew our minds because we are born with a fallen mind. We're born with a line of thinking and a way of going about our lives that is ungodly. It is selfish. That everything that we do from the time we come to this earth, unless we are reborn in Christ Jesus, is for one person and one person only. And who might that be? Ourselves. We come into this world and... Unless and until we accept Jesus as our Savior, it's all about us. Now, you may find people that you think are unbelievers and they're selfless. That's not the case. They're unbelievers and they're selfish. They just have a way of hiding that selfishness. For whatever the case may be. They may give a large sum of money and on the surface it looks selfless but underneath that that motive is not selfless at all that motive is selfish whether it's for recognition for whatever different motive there may be it is not a truly selfless motive and we fight that even after we're saved right we, we have to push back and fight against that because that old person has become such a part of who we have been that we have to push back on even what looks like sacrifice. And so, unless and until we know Jesus as our Savior, we don't know what, it's, what it means to be selfless. We have this way of thinking that we are God and no one else is or can be. We steal his glory because we want it for ourselves. But when we accept Jesus, the Holy Spirit, he renews us. He makes us see that God and God alone is worthy of that glory. That he is the only one that is deserving to be praised. But as I said last week, this renewing isn't passive on our part. It's not as if we are saved and then the Holy Spirit renews us and we become totally different human beings in our way we think and in the way we act without us cooperating. It doesn't work that way. 
It takes us to get up and work at being renewed. The Holy Spirit does it, but we have to act on it. Now we're going to look at the second half of this verse. Paul tells us that we're supposed to discern the will of God. Discern the will of God. How many find the will of God to be complicated? Yeah, it's extremely complicated, right? It's hard to understand, and it's impossible for us to fully understand because it is God. It is His and not ours. I would venture to say that we can't even understand our own will, right? Well, you say, well, I know when I get hungry, I I want food. Yeah, that's your will. We want things or we want to do things, or we want someone to do something, and we understand that because that's inherent within us. What we don't understand is how that works. We really have no idea how our wills work, in that we don't know what influences our wills. They're extremely complex. For as complex as the human anatomy is and the physical body is, I would venture to say that the human will is more complex. Because it's ethereal, right? It's, we, we can't see. We can see blood pumping through our veins. We can, we can see all that, but we can't really see what's influencing our will. Now, sure, we know when we don't eat, we're going to get hungry, and I want food because of that. But what makes us love certain people and not others what makes us seek God and other people don't how does all that work we have no clue we don't know and so yet we're supposed to try to understand God's will becomes very difficult but it's not to say that that's not what we're commanded to do because clearly Paul tells us, by testing you may discern the will of God. We are supposed to understand to the extent possible the complex, eternal will of God. And that's tough. But that's what we're going to look at this morning. There are at least two meanings to the will of God, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. And they work together even though at times they seem to be in polar opposite on the one hand God has a sovereign will his will is sovereign and on the other hand there are things that happen that he doesn't like he opposes and yet it happens so I hope you can see those two divergent views That on one hand, he controls everything that goes on. There's nothing that happens outside of his will. And on on the other hand, there are things that happen that he does not approve of and that he doesn't like. He forbids some things that he allows to happen. That's just the reality of the world. And... I warned you, it can be a little confusing. We're going to go through a lot of scriptures. 
Matthew 26, 39. So Jesus is in the garden right before his crucifixion or right before his arrest, his betrayal. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. God's sovereign will was at work here. Christ was really kind of dreading what was coming down the pike. And he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. It was in God's sovereign plan that his son be killed. That his son be crucified. And everything that was going to happen over the next few days. Acts four twenty-seven and 28. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Along those same lines, example of God's will. There were people that were gathered together to kill Christ. Herod, Pontius Pilate. The Jews, Gentiles, they were all gathered together to kill Christ and yet it was God's hand and his predestined plan that it took place. And yet it was an evil thing. It was full of sin in every way. And we know that God disdains and hates sin. And yet it was that sinfulness that took place and carried out God's predestined plan. So I hope you can see the dichotomy that we're dealing with here, the, the seemingly contradictory nature of God's will. 1 Peter 3.17 For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So here Peter warns us that Christians are going to suffer for doing good, and that is God's will, that that's going to happen sometimes. And Christian suffering for doing good is a result of sinful acts. And yet we see that that is God's will. Ephesians 1, 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What does he work according to the counsel of his will? Okay, try again. All things! He works all things according to the counsel of his will. The will of God is his sovereign governance over all things that come to pass. There is not one sparrow that falls to the ground outside the will of God. Proverbs 16.33 The lot is cast in the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. There is no such thing as luck. God controls it all. He governs all things. Even those who play cards at the riverboat. That is, within God's sovereign power and his sovereign will. 
but God has another will. And Piper calls to it the will of command. This is the will of a God that we can obey or disobey. And we disobey it, unfortunately, quite often. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So here, what is implicit in this scripture is that there are those who fail to do God's will. So on the one hand, we have God's sovereign will that's controlled in everything and nothing falls outside of his will. But here we have another will that people don't do. The will of command. So not everyone's going to go to heaven. Only those who do his will, as we see here in the words of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. So that is his will. If it was his sovereign will, then no one would ever partake of sexual immorality. We know that doesn't happen, right? We have all fallen into this in one sense or another. So this is a command or a will of command that you can either obey or disobey. It is his will because it says it's his will. Do we and can we disobey? Unfortunately, we do. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Give thanks in all, circumstance, in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's a wonderful passage. It's a very deep passage, and it's complex in that it gives you both sides of his will it gives you his sovereign will implicitly and it expressly gives us the will of command what's the will of command give thanks and when in all circumstances now I I want to go off course just a little bit but I think it's very important that I'm using this as an example but I want us to apply it and we're going to talk about application when I wrap this up, give thanks in good times. Is that what Paul says? No. Give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, all circumstances. How many of us do that? Yeah. When something horrific comes into you, life is your knee-jerk reaction I'm going to glorify God. No. I want us, I challenge us, live this verse. Live this verse. Because it is hard. But just because it's hard, I don't want us to just pass it by and say, I can't do that. I'm going to glorify him when everything's going grand. But when things stink in my life, I'm going to wring my hands and worry and say, woe is me. 
Because that's what this verse tells us to do. Live it every day in all circumstances. Now this brings me to the implicit behind this verse. We are to give thanks to God in all circumstances. Why? Why? And this points to his other will. Because of his sovereign will. Because he creates every circumstance that we find ourselves in. It is his will. And so when we give thanks in all circumstances, we are thanking him for always being in control of everything, no matter how awful it may seem on the surface. That's the beauty of this passage. It shows us both. We're giving him thanks because he is sovereign and he's creating every circumstance that we're in. And so we give him thanks in every one of those. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm saying that we should attempt to do it. The next time we find ourselves in a horrific place and maybe you find yourself in the middle of a horrific place this morning. I want us, and I want our knee-jerk reaction. I challenge us because I'm in the boat with you. Give thanks. Give him praise. Thank him for putting us where we're at, even though we can't see the other side. We know Romans 8, 28. That's faith. That's putting action or putting our faith to action. Job was able to do this, right? The Lord giveth. And the Lord, what? Taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's easy to bless his name when he giveth. It's another deal altogether when he taketh away. And that's what burdens me with a lot of churches today, that they want to create a God that only giveth. But that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord in all circumstances, regardless what they may be. So as I said, this passage beautifully demonstrates God's will of command and that he's telling us to do something, to obey. And implicitly it demonstrates his sovereign will as well. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So not everyone is going to live forever. Why? Because not everyone's going to do the will of God. It is his will of command, something that you can either obey or disobey. So this is just a few, or these are just a few passages that I pulled out. And hopefully you can see the two different wills that God has. You see his sovereign will, that nothing outside, nothing outside of him is allowed to happen. And you see a will of command that we can obey or disobey. And they demonstrate his love wonderfully, magnificently. One is not better than the other. They work together and they they complement each other and they are both precious. When those bad things happen, when we find ourselves or a loved one or whatever in a very bad situation, we can look to his sovereign will and we can glorify him because as I've said so many times, I 
love my God because he is a big God and he's got this no matter what it is. Nothing will separate us from his love. All things are working together for our good. If that wasn't true and he's not sovereign, I can depend on him. If he's in some cosmic great battle with Satan, which he loses some and wins some, he's not very good. But he's always winning and he always will win. That's his sovereign side that I so love and admire and I stand on. So when something bad happens, we can point to that and we can embrace that and know Romans 8.28 is true, that he loves us, that he's working it all for our good, no matter how awful the moment may be. And at the same time, we can know that our God despises sin. He is perfectly righteous, he is pure, he is holy in every way. And just because it happened, it doesn't mean that he likes it. It doesn't mean that he's a fan of the sin, if it is sin, that caused it. He hates the evil that brings about bad in this world. And I think we can get great comfort from both of his wills that we've seen here this morning. So when you see bad things happen, we can know that God takes no delight in the sinfulness of of mankind and the breaking of his commands. Yet he's in control of the situation. And he could have stopped whatever it was or is from happening, and why he chooses not to is way beyond me. It's something that I've not figured out. Hopefully it will become a little clearer when I leave this world. But I do not yet understand those reasons. So we're going to take all this, and we're going to come back to Romans 12 too as we wrap things up. Which will is Paul referring to in this passage? I think the answer is pretty straightforward. God does not often reveal his sovereign will. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure that out. Lives are dedicated to the study of what God's got planned in the future. Are they doing that to glorify God or are they doing that because they want, in essence, to have a crystal ball to be able to see what's going to happen and be able to tell people, I know what's going to happen. I believe it's because they desire the crystal ball effect, unfortunately. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord. And there have been times throughout history and throughout the Bible, that he did reveal what he was going to do in the future. And to a certain extent, he has done that in the Bible, but he didn't make it easy. If you don't believe me, just go back and read through Revelation. Knowing the future has nothing to do with being transformed by the renewal of our mind, right? So knowing God's sovereign will isn't going to help us become renewed at all. Thus, the will of God that was being referred here, or being referred to here, is his will of command. So we are to discern what God's commands are 
for us. How do we do that? How are we to know what God wants from us? He reveals it in one place. Anybody got a clue? On our hearts based on what? His word, right? He reveals the will of his command in his word. We will never know his will unless we search his word. We'll never know what he wants from us, what he desires from us, what he wants from our lives unless we know his word. When we study and we know his will of command, we are able to discern his will. Then we have to apply it. And as I said, I think it was last week or the week before, application is the most difficult. It's easy to have the knowledge. It's easy to to know something. But unless we apply it to our lives, what we know is worthless. Unless we obey the commands that we learn in this Bible, the commands that we learn in this Bible are worthless. We're not obeying God. And we're not doing anything that pleases Him. So just as we saw in 1 Thessalonians... A few moments ago, that we give him praise in every circumstance that we find ourselves in? Who in the world would know that without God's word? You wouldn't. I mean, that's the opposite of everything the world knows and understands, right? Who wants to praise someone for being in a miserable place? That's not natural thinking in our minds. But when our minds are renewed, we're able to discern and know what God commands of us. And we're able to understand that we're to praise God regardless of the circumstance. Because A, he put us there. And B, that is his will. Then we're able to glorify him. And that is the very reason we exist. But that concept is foreign to fallen man. But as I said last week, it is the application that is difficult. It is putting it into practice that is hard. And I think I alluded to it a few weeks ago. When we've got a situation that has arisen that we can know is going to pop up, and we rehearse in our minds how we're going to react to it, we can do that, right? It's all rehearsed, and we know that, you know, this may be a rough situation, so in our minds we're thinking, how does God want me to react if I get in that situation, and this happens, and we're in that situation, and it happens, we've rehearsed it, we can do it. How often does that happen? Not very often. 95%, at least 95% of our lives are spontaneous. Some awful thing happens to us that we've never even dreamed of, and it happens right now. How do we get ourselves to the point that we're able to react in a godly manner spontaneously every time? That takes a lot of the practicing. That takes doing it over and over and over again until it becomes habitual in our minds to where when somebody speaks to us in an angry way, we just demonstrate our love to them. We show them 
the heart and kindness of Christ. Now, that's not easy at first, right? The easy thing is to bite back. They're not going to talk to me that way. I'm sure you've all had moments in your lives when you've had an argument or some altercation or confrontation and you walk away and you get back home and you're going through your mind, well, I wish I would have said this, that, and the other. Well, this, that, and the other really wasn't a good thing for you to be saying. Right? But what we want to do is practice those moments so often that they become repetitive in our minds that no matter what the situation that arises, we're able to glorify God in it and demonstrate the love and kindness of Christ, regardless of what the circumstances are. That, my friends, is difficult. That is the most difficult because so much of our lives is spontaneous. But it's not to say we shouldn't, that shouldn't be our goal because God has called us to that. By doing that, we're making much of Christ. By doing that, we're showing the world that we're not like them, that there's something that lives or someone that lives inside of us that is far greater than everything else that is out there. And he alone causes us to react and glorify God in all circumstances, whether they be good or whether they be bad. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for your spirit being with us this morning as we've taken a deep dive into something so complex as to your will. It is so difficult for us to just scratch the surface of what that is and what that looks like. But Father, we pray, Lord, that you give us the strength, the determination to A, dig into your word and B, to apply it to our lives and apply it to our lives so often that it becomes our nature. It becomes who we are that in every reaction or action that we take, we make Jesus look good. We glorify you with what we say, with what we do, and how we react, that we give you praise in all circumstances, Father. Let us wear that. Let us act that way every day in the world and with each other so that you may be glorified. For it is in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. All rise.